Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless Hello, and welcome back to yet another episode of 50 Stars Plus. I'm Nicola, covering Switzerland. I'm just kidding. This is Alex covering the U.S. Unfortunately, my good friend and co-anchor, Nicola Imfeld, will not be able to join us today due to being a little bit under the weather. In his place, I have prepared a very special episode for all of you today. I will be bringing on two fantastic, wonderful guests. The first is a political candidate for the state assembly right here in sunny California. He'll be joining us to talk about the California recall election, which just passed, as well as the Arizona election audit, which also just passed us by the last couple of days. Following that up, I will have my good friend Suda on to discuss with me about policy regarding LGBTQA rights in light of Switzerland's recent legalization of gay marriage. But first, let's talk politics and elections. And joining me now is Assembly candidate for the California State Assembly in District 77, Ricky Marin. Welcome, Ricky. Hi, thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me. Thanks for agreeing to come on. Uh, So I want to start our conversation by recapping our California recall a little bit. For those who are less familiar, we just had a recall election to try to recall Governor Gavin Newsom. And that recall effort failed. Uh, Gavin Newsom was able to win 62% of the vote to uh, 37% of the vote that wanted to remove him and thus won the recall in a landslide. Uh, My question for you, Ricky, is as a political candidate and as a political candidate who's representing progressive values, what does the result of the recall say to you? about your campaign moving forward? I think the recall really demonstrated how our electoral system is broken. We're left with these two choices. We're left with a system that only serves to further the polarization we're seeing in our state without really creating results. With the recall, it was totally meaningless. It was totally unnecessary. If you wanted to hold Governor Newsom accountable for his policies, you could have easily done that a year from now during the primary and the general that's happening in 2022. And spending, instead of spending the entire surplus that we have in the California state bullet budget on a recall, that essentially was for nothing. Like you said, 62% of the vote. So it only furthered our, basically our decision of having Governor Newsom as our governor for the next term. I feel like it was a complete waste. And if that's the way you have to do politics in order to get people into positions of that, you need to reevaluate your policies and your platform and really why you're trying to do this. Is it for your own ego or is it for actually helping the people you're trying to represent? Something really wild about it and about what you're talking about is how recalls work in California, how you only need to acquire a very small percentage. I think it's what, 12% of the vote from the previous election in order to get a recall. But since less than half of Californians voted in the last election, that means we were essentially looking at maybe 4 or 5% of Californians having enough power to force the state to waste $276 million on, on this recall. Yeah, it's interesting to see how we really need to reform our system. 
because that threshold is too low. We definitely have to increase the threshold and we have to get rid of the possibility of electing a governor with a simple plurality because that obviously doesn't represent a majority of the Californians here. If we're going to reform this recall process, not only do we need to increase the threshold, but we also have to get rid of having a second individual on the ballot. We just have to have it so that it recalls the governor and the lieutenant governor will just serve out the remainder of the term. That way we prevent these kinds of power steals and these kinds of attempts at undermining our democracy with undemocratic practices. Uh, as far as I understand, that is what they do in other states other than California, right? Right. So there's already a precedent for it. It's just here in California because of the historical progressivism in the early 1900s. That's what they had in place. And we haven't changed it since. As a follow-up question, speaking of elections, uh, I'm sure you heard the Arizona state audit of the presidential election from last year just came out. Uh, that uh, forensic audit, they were calling it, from Cyber Ninjas. Uh, some of you might remember on the last episode, I debated someone about that. Uh, well, the results said that Joe Biden won. They affirmed his victory. But the result of having that audit and all the ones that preceded it, the result is that a lot of Americans, mostly conservatives, no longer trust our elections. Two-thirds of conservatives still think Biden is illegitimate. What does that say to you going forward uh, as you get into office, what will that do to affect your ability to commit to the policies you want? It just goes to show how people are so disillusioned with our system. They don't believe that the government's working for them. They don't even believe that the government is legitimate. And so we really need to change that. And I know a lot of these people are talking about voter security, but the biggest thing with voter security is voter suppression. And they're not focusing on that at all. They're not focusing on the different barriers that are in place that prevent people from actually exercising their voice. They're more concerned with these behind-the-scenes corrupt practices that aren't really behind the scenes. They're right there in front of us. We can easily see with campaign finance who's really funding and owning our elected officials. So no one's stealing anything with, at the ballot box. They're stealing it out at the Capitol with these lobbyists, all these different corporations who are influencing our elected officials to vote certain ways. It's plain and simple right there to see, and that's the threat to our democracy, not these elections in which everything is counted legitimately. And whether or not you believe that, it's like believing in gravity. If you believe in gravity or not, it still exists, and you're still going to fall if you try to walk outside. Speaking of elections and their consequences, uh, and also lobbyists, something that you and I have had a chance to talk about uh, individually outside of this podcast is how we're kind of in a crisis in a lot of policies because we've allowed these lobbyists to dictate our policies for so long. Uh, one example that I'd like to bring up is the wildfires raging through California right now. This year, uh, the sequoias were damaged. Previously, experts were saying sequoias were highly resistant because of their thick bark, but now, 12% of our sequoias have been wiped out by wildfires this year. Uh, how, what do you anticipate being some of the hurdles and challenges you will face in trying to resolve crises like this one? Exactly what I was talking about before, corporate influence. If you look at our elected officials, even specifically here in the California State Legislature, how many of them are funded by gas and oil companies? Companies like SDG&E, Sempra, PG&E, how can we expect them to create policies and draft legislation that actually influences climate justice and protects our communities 
when they're in the pockets of these corporations. There's no incentive for them because they know that if they institute these policies or even introduce them into the floor of the legislature, that these corporations are just going to finance their primary opponents or finance their other opponents in the general election. And so one thing we need to do in order to actually create these policies, not just with climate, but with any issue that's affecting Californians, is to get rid of this undue corporate influence in our elections. We should no longer allow them to buy our elections and instead have the voice of the people determine where our policy directions are. I know that's why it's so important for you that your campaign is grassroots and takes no corporate money. Absolutely, because we're beholden to the people. No one's going to buy us out. If you look at our platform, if you look at our policies, if you look at even the way that we conduct ourselves as a campaign, everything is grassroots. Everything is about building community, and that's what we want to bring to the Capitol. Well, thank you for uh, appearing on this podcast. I've got one closing question. Uh, What policies of yours are you most excited to get to debut and tackle when you take office? There are so many, but I would say the most important one would be our California version of the Civilian Climate Corps. Because not only can we tackle basically the effects of COVID and how unemployment has skyrocketed, but we can actually use these policies to help protect our environment and build something that'll make sure that we have a future for our planet and for the people of California. Oh, thank you for your time, Ricky. I appreciate it, and so do our listeners. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Hey guys, normally during this segment, you would hear Nika and I playing our usual game, uh, which I'm totally going to win, by the way. (laughs) Uh, That being said, because Nikola is out today, in place of our game, I would like to share some resources. See, one of the defining visions that Nikola and I shared when we decided to open this podcast was that we value education, and remaining informed. And so I'd like to share a couple of the resources that I myself use to attempt to remain educated and informed on modern issues. The first is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful YouTube channel called Kurtzgesat. That's K-U-R-Z-G-E-S-A-G-T. K-U-R-Z-G-E. S-A-G-T, Kurtzgesat. They're a fantastic educational YouTube channel that takes really complicated issues of science and politics and culture and history and breaks them down to be very simple and very easy to understand in a thorough way. If you go on that channel, you may find a video teaching you about the structure of the EU in a way that is simple and very comprehensible. They also have videos talking about what it would take to colonize Mars and put humans on that planet, or else the future of nuclear energy and the thorium reactor, which is 50 times safer than modern nuclear technology and with a much higher energy yield. There are hundreds and hundreds of other fantastic, great, excellent videos that are highly educational on that channel. It's great for kids, it's great for adults, and I highly recommend it. The other resource that I would like to share today is called Jingle Tree. That's J-I-N-G-L-E-T-R-E-E. 
J-I-N-G-L-E-T-R-E-E, Jingletree.com. Jingletree is a website which aggregates all of the mainstream news articles and headlines on a given topic in one given place. And so if you have the politics page open, then you'll see dozens of links and headlines on the same page taking you to different news sources talking about the same political issues. And this way, you can better observe every side of an issue and keep yourself informed on what everybody is saying. You can do that not just for politics, but for sports, entertainment, technology, and a whole host of other subjects. For that reason, I find Jingle Tree to be an excellent morning starter with my cup of coffee, and it is probably the first site that I visit every single morning when I start my routine, before I start working. So I highly, highly recommend it. Anyways, we'll be back, and when we're back, we're going to have Suda on to talk about LGBTQA rights. Back soon. And we're back, and now we're going to talk about something very, very cool that just happened in Switzerland this morning. Uh, Today is Sunday the 26th, as we record. This very morning, Switzerland, by a two-thirds majority vote, passed a referendum to legalize gay marriage in Switzerland. Thus, as of today, gay marriage is officially legal in Switzerland. Uh, Joining me now is my good friend Suda, who is going to chat with me a little bit about this victory for LGBT rights, its connection to the US, and what this could mean going forward. Welcome, Suda. Hi. 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 Thank you for having me. Could you um, tell us a little about yourself before we get started? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I am a recent graduate of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and my specialties usually lay within the field of social work, and I also really enjoy learning things about different populations and different identity groups. Thank you again for being here. Uh, So my first question for you, Suda, As you know, we legalized gay marriage here in the U.S. in 2015 with the Supreme Court case Obergfell v. Hodges. And I'm wondering, in your time here since then, so since 2015 when gay marriage was first legalized, have you seen... That was a a while ago. That was when I graduated from high school, yeah. (laughs) That's crazy, right? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Soon it'll be 10, 20 years ago, and I'm looking forward to being able to say that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Time has flown since um, gay marriage was legalized. It has. And I'm wondering, have you seen transformation or movement in the LGBT movement since gay marriage was legalized? What evolutions or changes have you been able to observe? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, ever since um, 2015, where gay marriage was legalized in all 50 states, um, I've seen a lot more growth and a lot more acceptance of 
people who are LGBT. We've seen a lot more representation in the media um, and in music and in even in sports. We've seen a lot more people being open with who they are. But however, I haven't really seen a lot of representation or acknowledgement towards the more marginalized groups within the LGBT spectrum. Yeah, so we're talking about trans, uh, ace individuals as well. Yes, and, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you're right. I, I remember the Stonewall movie in 2016 or 17, yeah. they cast a cis actor to play the trans protagonist. Yeah, um, the, to play, um, who was the, Marsha P. Johnson, right? Yeah, yeah, I do believe mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, I actually didn't see the movie. Uh, I boycotted <laughs> it at the time because of the casting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, based on that, uh, my follow up question to you is based on your experience in the US over the last six years, seeing how gay, uh, how uh, LGBT rights have evolved. What would you next hope to see Switzerland do following this triumph for the LGBT, uh, LGBT community there? I would definitely hope for more inclusion of m marginalized, marginalized groups within the LGBT community, especially because of the Black Lives Matter movement and all we've seen in the past two or three years even um, with the greater awareness of institutionalized racism and how it disproportionately affects the black community. And in the even in the US, um, we still lag behind on providing aid to the most marginalized populations, which include black trans women. And the murder rates and the rates of violence against these individuals are sky high. And I don't see many policies even in the US that really address that or help to mitigate that. So I would really hope that Switzerland would also would also take that into consideration. And also, um, although marriage equality has been a thing um, for the LGBT population since 2015, I would say that we're not really as equal as we would think we were because even for just for people with disabilities, marriage equality still hasn't really happened because uh, tying the knot really could mean a loss of health coverage, income support, and other like essential resources for millions. Yeah, that's a very good point you bring up. And uh, I've definitely observed the same thing. I've definitely seen a lot of hatred against the trans community, uh, especially this year when <laughs> 42 out of 50 U.S. states are trying to create new laws that specifically discriminate against trans people. And mm -hmm. also all that discrimination uh, that you would see, say, in the Asian trans community as well, for example, yeah. where mm -hmm. geishas are very common and there are a lot of different kinds of women in the Asian American community who face an awful lot of discrimination, sexual harassment, and so much worse. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's just bringing stigma to things that um, have existed, honestly, for thousands of years. Um, if, if, especially in this, within the South Asian community, um, India has historically recognized a third gender, which is hijra. Um, and those things have been around for a very long time. And people just kind of stigmatize it as if it was just invented the other day or the other week. Yeah, that's something that's always rubbed me the wrong way is I speak with a lot of conservatives who say there are only two genders, that's science. 
And I mean, first of all, they're incorrect because sex and gender are two different things, but also we have thousands of years of history of cultures where there are more than two genders. There are three or five or even seven, and it's a perfectly normal part of their culture. And so not only is it not correct scientifically to say there are only two genders, but it's not even correct historically and never has been. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there are so many records and so many times where trans stories or LGBT voices have been systematically silenced over years and years of history. I think I I read the other day that um, a lot of records on trans research were destroyed in Germany during World War II. I didn't actually know that. And mm -hmm. that's deeply troubling and awful and not surprising at all, honestly, for a fascist movement. Yeah. And also, um, if I, I know a lot of people on the internet make fun of this, especially within WLW communities, but um, there will be historical instances of two women who uh, lived in the same house, slept in the same bed, did everything together, got buried together, and the historian will refer to them as friends, <laughs> like lifelong friends. <laughs> and oh my so I gosh. Think, I think that kind of straightwashing of history is also very a, a very common source of where this might come from because a lot of people interpret history in a different way than it actually it actually was. Um, we have so many historical figures that people suspect are LGBT, but never it was never confirmed just because it was so stigmatized back then, and also because the history might have been misinterpreted. Yeah, I see it a lot in TV shows too. Uh, for example, in Avatar The Legend of Korra, where mm -hmm. later we get the kiss between Korra and Asami uh, in the comics, but at the very yeah. end of the show, all they're willing to do is not even fully hold hands. They just locked a couple of fingers, if I remember Off correctly. Off the spirit world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like it was definitely, um, what's the term? I think the modern term Great is watch. queer baiting. Oh, Okay. Where well, they, yes, queer baiting as well. Yeah, where they make it seem like uh, they're finally going to give some queer representation, but then they stop just short of actually doing it. Yeah, another big, another really big um, example I see of that is the Harry Potter series, right? And um, after the all the books were published, um, aside from all of the transphobia from J.K. Rowling, this is just another thing that I'm irritated about. After all the books came out, she says Dumbledore's gay. And then when the movies, the Fantastic Beasts movies are coming out where um, Dumbledore's actually represented, she's like, we're not gonna show Dumbledore being gay at all, but he is, just just believe me, he is. <laughs> yeah, that I don't know what JK Rowling gains out of some of those decisions, to be honest with you. Honestly. <laughs> uh, though I probably shouldn't insult Harry Potter too hard. Uh, we're lucky my co-anchor isn't here. Uh, Nicola's favorite, favorite series is Harry Potter. It's so, a big part of people's childhoods. <laughs> definitely <laughs> it's a big is. part of my childhood, too, until she ruined it for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gen Z tells me that we're cringe for liking uh, the Harry Potter houses so much and like identifying with Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, etc. <laughs> it's, it's, like it's like another rendition of a horoscope. Like <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Uh, so we're running out of time. So mm -hmm. I'm going to transition us over to my last question which is based on all we've been talking about uh, in the U.S. and in mainstream culture in general and mainstream media. 
what are some challenges you foresee Switzerland encountering moving forward for LGBT rights and especially for trans rights? Uh, mm. Should that be the next step that they choose to pursue there? Yeah, um, well, I will, I don't have as much knowledge about Swiss culture as your co-host does, I'm sure. But from what I've seen here in the US, I think the major, major struggle is the acknowledgement that institutionalized racism, white supremacy, transphobia, homophobia is built into the system. Like every, like in a lot of situations, people say that the first step to fixing a problem is to admit that there's a problem. And I feel like in the US, that's where we really lag. If we, if we look at several examples, such as um, the condemnation of teaching critical race theory in schools, for example, or um, a bunch of other attacks against giving diversity education, all the pushback that I had when trying to introduce LGBT education to their state's um, education plan. Um, I think that information is the first step to really passing all those policies and making things better for those marginalized populations is to destigmatize these identities that have that are not inherently political because of everything we've been discussing being trans being non-binary being lgbtq has happened for centuries and centuries now and it's inherently tied to identity but it's become very political it, they've have so many politics tied to them right now and i think that the biggest barrier is to destigmatize it and give more education around what these identities are and what it means so that people can be learn learn to be more tolerant or i shouldn't say tolerant people should be activating active allies to marginalized groups like this. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's rights are just as important. And I do agree that's something we should be following. Uh, I'm wondering what Nicola would say to me since I'm almost always the progressive on this podcast. and <laughs> Usually he's the one challenging me. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what uh, that information policy could look like in Switzerland as it's estimated that at most, the highest conceivable number of trans individuals in Switzerland only amounts to a couple thousand. And people that's within out, a population. You What'd you say? People who are out, you mean? Yeah, people who are out. Yes, uh, and that's. Um, I'm sure that the real number is probably a lot more than that because a lot of times with those polls, a lot of people aren't out yet or they're questioning their gender or um, they just don't feel safe um, reporting that publicly. So. I would categorize that as the number of people who feel safe enough reporting that they're trans. Yeah, that's a very fair assessment. And that's something my partner has said to me as well when we've talked about this. <laughs> and so that's a hope I have that there are more who are just not out yet because you know, 2000 or so within a population of 8.4 million, I worry for their ability to mobilize a large enough mm -hmm. lobby to gather attention. But mm -hmm. hopefully this victory Mm -hmm. For the LGBTQA community, this first step will allow more broad social movement that makes people feel more comfortable coming out. That's my and hope, I, at least. And I think the broad inclusion of um, trans folks, especially in the media and in music and art all over the world, will also help influence that policy. Because back in 2015, all of that wasn't there. 
So at least now there's more representation out in the atmosphere, I guess, um, to really to spur the movement further and to give um, people who, who might be organizing for trans rights in Switzerland more of a platform to stand on because there are more resources out there. Well, thank you, Suda, for your time on here. It has been a pleasure. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. All right. Uh, so thank you again. All righty. That's going to be the end of the episode for today. Thank you guys for listening. Next episode in a couple of weeks, we will be back with Nicola to our original format. You guys will get to watch me, or I guess listen to me, dominate him once more in our game. <laughs> uh, anyways, if you like our content and would like more, please share this episode and all of our others with people and follow us on social media. We have it all, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. You can follow us at 50 stars plus. That's 50-S-T-A-R-S-P-L-U-S. Once more, that is 50-S-T-A-R-S-P-L-U-S for 50 stars plus. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again at the next episode.